1: Today, I'm joined once again by my friend, default friend, uh, Catherine D. Welcome.
2: Hey, thanks for having me. I uh, had a special t-shirt made for this particular. I'm going to go back to slouching soon, but do not screenshot this.
1: <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's extremely useful. I I will need one myself. <laughs> um, yeah, I feel like, you know, the, uh, the, the, the screenshot, uh, you know, I think there was like a... Um, an episode of The Simpsons where where Mo was trying to find a good thumbnail of himself. And I feel like that's just the story of my life during none. You know, it's, that's the longest thing. That's actually why I took my face out of the thumbnails, because it's just like 20 minutes of me just like slowly scrolling through and trying to not be deformed. <laughs> so I just skipped it. I'm like, the guest, this is the guest. That's what you're getting. And my face is the same every time, so why? Why should I? <laughs> why should I torture myself? And you? So yeah, I uh, I might need that shirt. Um, but yeah, I I forgot to say who. I've, probably anyone who's watching this, you know, Kath D, she's been on before. People know that you are the quintessential uh, internet historian. your journalist, writer, someone who knows about the, the, the darkest bowels of the internet and, uh, you know, little secrets about about all of these demons that are haunting everyone <laughs> at the moment. Um, and one particular demon that I want to discuss with you is um, something almost kind of like a, a very particularly American malaise. Some, we don't have this in Eastern Europe, or we don't have it in this form, at least. Is the school shooter. Um, and you've written about this and you have some... some you know, less kind of off the beaten path opinions about about what motivates this phenomenon. Um and it's not more or or less guns, you know, too many guns, too few guns, which seems to be the only the only discussion that's being had. I mean, in, in your opinion, what what exactly is the motor behind this?
2: Um, I mean it's it's nihilism. Um I don't think I don't think anyone really has, well, for the most part, people don't really have something to live for. Um and it manifests in all sorts of different ways. Um, I see that I see like this sort of chaotic, like senseless violence. Um, you know, it's it's not that different from people who are like anesthetizing themselves um by you know, filling their days with they have work, they go to, you know, they they work themselves ragged at a workout class and they drink wine until they fall asleep. Um it's just another, it's just another way to escape that. Yeah. I think that's, that's an interesting angle. I mean,
1: again, you know, that's, that's kind of a a direction that really is not really being addressed. I mean, why do you think this nihilism is not, it really isn't a phenomenon that's being brought up. um, It's not being brought up in this context and it's not being brought up in, you know, the other context, like you said, you know, the, the urban nihilism that we're a bit more familiar with. Um, Why isn't, you know, this a factor
2: um, I think people are are scared of it. Uh, I mean, I, I think a big thing with school shooters is they people want to believe um, that they're just monsters, right? Um, and that it's like uh, some you know some sort of an, an anomaly. Uh, every thousand people are going to be super violent, and um, we you know it's easier to blame guns than it is to blame something structural. I think there's a kernel of, of truth in that, right? Um, but I don't think people think of it in the right way. Um, I think this is like, sure, if they are just monsters, this is how that monstrous behavior is going to manifest in a society that doesn't give, especially young men, many options. Yeah, I mean,
1: one of the one of the school shooters that you've particularly uh, written about is Adam Lanza, who uh, is um, the, uh, the shooter in the Sandy Hook incident um which is also a very strangely a very contested shooting i mean there's a lot of conspiracy theories around sandy hook which i don't think is the case for for many other school shootings like it's extreme i mean alex jones was essentially you know <laughs> condemned on the basis of sandy hook i mean why why is sandy hook such a such a contested event
2: um i mean the coverage around it was weird it's, it's a very, it is a very weird case. I think that there are conspiracies around every mass casualty event. That's a very American kind of instinct. And it's not even something that's like recent of like the Twitter sphere, right? Uh, this is this, you know, it's, it's always been this way. There's always the the story that the press pushes, um, and then like the real story and the real story of course, isn't always real. Um, it's usually halfway between what the press has told you and what the conspiracy theorists are, are pushing. Um, but I mean, Sandy was just so difficult to make sense of, right. It's, I mean, it's a horrific situation. Um, you know, it was, it was elementary school students. It was the first time something like that happened. Um, and then the other thing is because like we have a 24 hour news cycle, uh, there's a lot of flaws, right. The, the reporting on these issues is always, uh, you know, filled with mistakes and, you know, kind of, kind of wonky. Um, but, it's you know it's it makes it so much more charged when it's something as sensitive um, and as as delicate and just as I mean horrific. We we had never experienced something like this before, especially here. Um, you know we it, you know it's one thing if something's happening and it's a war crime or whatever you become desensitized to it. Um, but to think like oh you could send your you know your six year old to school and not see them again was I mean that it was it was big.
1: Yeah, and and you said that you know the reporting was strange. I I do remember seeing a video of a of a parent. I think that's one of the more famous ones where I think they were kind of laughing backstage with someone and then they kind of turned to the camera and started weeping or started crying and there really was kind of this vibe of, you know, is there some like crisis actor element to this? Like, I don't know. Even for me, that felt a little bit, you know, uh, obviously you don't know how people react in these situations. Who knows exactly what was discussed? You know, there's not a lot of context in it, but it did feel a bit, I don't know, creepy. But in these events, people do tend to kind of pattern match. Like if you expect there to be something suspicious about it, then you kind of, you know, see this type of footage and you're like, oh, my God, this is so suspicious.
2: I mean, this is, uh, maybe this is actually the opposite of a red pill, but like the red pill for me on like which conspiracy theories to trust um, has been paying attention to conspiracy theories about myself and how easy it is to make stories out of nothing, right? Um, And sometimes it really is just, um, it's just the simplest explanation. Like, wow, someone's child was, you know, was just shot and it could be that they were uh, holding back tears, and they want it to be composed, and that turned into laughter. You know, it's it, it it it's for me. It's much easier to to throw away the the crisis actor stuff. Um, you know, knowing sort of how easy it is to pull together like convincing, uh, con- convincing conspiracies. Basically, um, you know, I read stuff about myself, you know, to make a little more lighthearted, and I'm like, yeah, I could see why someone would believe it's not true, but I could see how like if you you know if you have the red string and you're sort of Trying to connect all the dots, why you'd believe that. Um, yeah, I mean, with Sandy, you know, there's was, there's was other things too, like uh, stuff getting misreported or people being misquoted and then it being changed and then it being taken down. Um, you know, weird, weird footage. It's it's hard to corral people when like you're going to look at the crime scene. There's like image, you know, footage of people running away. Uh, there was originally reports of two shooters. There's all, I mean, there was all sorts of stuff. Um, and it completely um I, in some sense, I sympathize with people who, you know, there's a lot of distrust in the media. Um, but digging into, to Adam's, uh, digital footprint, I mean, uh, this was a troubled person who I think really, you know, it's something that couldn't have been faked, right? There's no, the story is too rich. Uh, the, the, the footprint that he left, um, that has been totally unexplored is too complex for it to be, uh, somehow, somehow faked. Um, And that, you know, that's sort of, that's sort of where I, where I fell on it.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's kind of what you've been exploring. I mean, uh, you said it's, it's unexplored, but um, what, what have you found about Adam Lanza? I mean, what, what was he like?
2: He, um, I mean, well, first of all, he started off as a sort of like a hardcore libertarian anarcho-primitivist. Um... And, you know, when we, especially in the United States, when we think of what's the profile of someone who's going to commit an act of violence, obviously we've been fed the story that it's going to be a hard right extremist who's trying to become a martyr for white supremacy or something. Um, that's actually rarely the case, right? None of these guys are martyrs. These are suicides, you know, they, they're, and I think, you know, I think they, they're not fighting for a cause. They're, they want to die. And They want to die because they don't think life is worth living. They don't want to die um, on like the behalf of a, a movement or something or for some transcendent meaning. It is because is precisely because they think there is no transcendent meaning um, that they kill themselves in this. I mean, in this very horrific way. Um, and, you know, Adam Lands is sort of the poster child for this because so he starts as an anarcho-primitivist, um, which I'm sure your your listeners know know what that is. But if they don't, it's someone who's sort of a you know, back to the land, um, an anarchist. Uh, you know, back to a primitive society, anti-tech. Um, you know, anti-modernity, but in a very specific, almost sort of like hippie-ish way. Um, and he he ends up, you know, saying like, "Well, even if we returned, even if I I got back to my primal self," so sort of like Rousseau, like you know, thought process. Um, there really, it there's really nothing there. Life is just nothingless nothingness rather um and he was attracted to this uh, school of thought called athlism right um which was which basically that its life backwards um and you know it's essentially that life has no value um but then he he went even a step deeper and this is sort of a confusing switch because it's sort of it's sort of incoherent but he he thought that even athlism had was had some sort of like moral weight to it right and he was actually just anti-value, and really, what it came down to is he, you know, he was against culture, against the culturists as he called them, and he he wanted to get to a point where it was, you know, to bring everything to nothing. That living is a form of torture. Um, he was against having values at all. Which, of course, the confusing part is that is a value, right? Um, and yeah, I mean, it seemed if if you listen, there's tons of. YouTube videos. He made, you know, uh, hundreds of posts online. Um, he just did, it, it's almost like, um, if people are like familiar with like Ayla's kind of questioning, it's like, if you took Ayla and brought that to a conclusion of like, life just isn't worth living. Um, and again, that's like really not, uh, I think it's partially not explored because we want to believe these guys are radicalized online in a very specific way. Um, and that kind of goes against it because it's one kind of difficult to describe. And then two, it's like, well, what do you what do you do with that? Um, when you talk about what the solutions to that might be, you really paint yourself into a corner that kind of goes against everything that American you know American society is promoting right now, um, which is like, for example, structure. Would you know? Would Adam Lanza have been a happier, more productive person if he was religious? Um, you know, it doesn't mean you, that's you know not a call to like Christian nationalism or anything, but you know, it is like you know set values it's transcendent meaning. Um, if he, uh, you know, if he could lean into some identity group that wasn't about victimization, that was about empowerment. Like if he was, it feels corny saying this, like if he was proud to be an American. Right. Um, and for a lot of people, I mean, that, that sort of, that, that like philosophical structure is what seems to be missing and what they're longing for. And it's a really difficult thing to, to talk about, especially, you know, in a world where it's just be endless choices, um, you know, for some people, these the endless choice just ends up at like fuck it, nothing, nothing matters. Not you know, nothing's worth it. I'm just gonna, you know, I'm gonna kill myself and kill others.
1: Yeah, I think it's it's interesting how important kind of just like little biographical details or maybe big biographical details are to this because essentially it, it strikes me that Adam Lanza was kind of just like you said, the rationalist that really took it. To its its final conclusion, and he was also someone who was not enjoying his life. He had a, a hard existence for whatever reason. Um, you know, he wasn't getting along. He wasn't supported by the people around him. You know, his life was grating at his soul. Up to the point where he said, "Okay, this is all misery. This is all pain. And you know, I'd rather I'd rather not have it." And you know, for example, you bring up Ayla. I mean, she's kind of on the other end. She seems to be enjoying aspects of her life. You know, she's kind of has a positive experience of, of some things. And then, um, you know, there, there is some value in kind of just the utilitarian pleasure of, of going along with life uh, that offers kind of the substructure that I was just missing for someone like Adam Lanza. Like he's, he's not out there, you know, having utilitarian experiences, <laughs> I, I can imagine. I mean, just, just seeing, you know, little details of, of his biography.
2: Yeah, I mean, his his lifestyle, um, you know, looks very similar to, you know, when people sort of imagine, uh, you know, like the prototypical incel, which I actually think is a lifestyle that um, many of us lead, even if we don't want to admit it, or he, it's mostly mediated by a screen. His only exercise was going to an arcade and playing DDR. Um, he had relationships, but they were online. Um, this created a distorted sense of self. He He developed anorexia. Um, you know, he he was increasingly it's it he, he might have been autistic. Um he you know his environment was very overwhelming to him, so he couldn't handle sounds or certain textures. Um, but I've noticed even in my personal life, like that tends to become exas- exacerbated um when you are isolated. It just gets worse and worse and worse. Um so you know, there's also I also think just that level of alienation um creates delusions and the th- you know the thing it's it's so hard to talk about because usually those delusions are relatively harmless right they're not murderous um you know it could be paranoia about your immediate family's politics right or you know something like this or even i think like covid safetyism is in part like it, you know it's reinforced by the media but it's also it, it's, you play along with it because you're so, you have, you have no social fabric to kind of like check you on it. I also think there's, I mean, a lot of this is super simple. Right. Um, and again, like I noticed in my own life, like the busier I am and the more embedded in a fabric of something I am, the less like actual time I have to think about any of this stuff. Um, you know, the less I want to tweet, the less I want to get lost down these rabbit holes. Um, and I think like we underestimate like the, you know, people already feel like they don't have enough to live for. Um, and then like what's, you know, what's really the problem is not so much like this radicalization machine. It's the alienation at all. Um, and it kind of takes everyone to a dark place. Um, and it's, it's kind of like Russian roulette about like, how is that darkness going to manifest? Like, I do think there is something very dark about, um, you know, like smoking weed all day, you, you know, and, and just wasting away that way. Again, it's like not as harmful, but, it is sort of a, a loneliness and a, a, a detachment and being kind of lost at sea in the same way. Just, you know, again, obviously much much less
1: harmful. Yeah, I think people underestimate how much of um, a, a question of critical mass this is. It's uh, like, you know, for at one point, this type of lifestyle was, was kind of optional. You know, you had kind of the, the loner, stoner type that, you know, was always in, in their apartment, like even 10, 15 years ago, even here uh, that, you know, would would just kind of check out. Uh, but now given that everyone's kind of wrapped up in some form of this, or most people are, it, you really don't have anyone to hang out with. Like I see a lot of like some, some of my most sociable people that I knew, you know, the, the social butterflies are kind of trapped in the fact that they really, they would like, they've had like a year or two where they were trying to, you know, cling on to their relationships, but then they just kind of gave up and then they became, you know, addicted to weed or whatever, you know even if it's not a physical addiction there's a lot of you know psychological components to this so they're just essentially at their house smoking weed all day and kind of given up on life so um it's it's really hard to to come back from this if there's no one around to to do it with
2: and i you know i also think people underestimate is you become more antisocial over time too like even if you do make the effort you know and everyone says like go touch grass or whatever I think people like don't have the patience or the desire to build physical relationships, with like the one exception being sex. Um, Of course, you know we're as everyone loves to tell me we're in a sex recession. But I do think there are a lot of people where their only outlet for connection or even experience is the sexual experience, Um, and that's you sort of trick yourself into saying, well, oh well, I'm doing something. This is a relationship, but it's not really the same relationship as you'd have with a friend, right? Like it's, it's very limited in scope. Um, and it's, you know, also predicated on like this, you know, dopamine seeking. Um, it's like the only way we know how to interact. Um, and again, like, you know, I I see it in myself, like I've, I've become, you know, much, especially after COVID and like, as my work moved online, become much less patient and able to feel comfortable, um, like making eye contact or being like embedded uh, in, in physical interactions. You know, I think a lot of people do, you know, I think on some level it is an individual choice and you you can do it, but if it's reinforced in so many different ways, um, to expect people to sort of just do it on their own and have the strength to, and even the self-awareness to recognize that like they're struggling with this and that like they need to just tough it out. I think it's just, I mean, it's insane to ask of people. Yeah. And I feel like
1: it, it really does seem to have, you know, been accelerating with COVID um, and like the last two years, what, whatever was going on before that and these trends were existing, but now it's it's really gone off the rails. And I can imagine, and I'm not going to say I'm going to predict more school shooters, but the sentiment that fuels uh, that type of activity seems to be, yeah, seems to be, yeah, flourishing.
2: I mean, I, you know, I, I don't necessarily think it will manifest in real world violence. I really don't know um, one way or the other. But I do think it's interesting that when you look at the sort of like political, uh, gripes of zoomers, and this is across a political spectrum, um, they do, I mean, it's, it's, it's slightly different than the millennial gripe, which is, you know, capitalism has, you know, capitalism induced alienation. Um, zoomers seem to identify the internet. They're like, well, you know, it's so much worse for us because we have only known a world that's mediated through apps. Like forget just, you know, forget the, the commercial internet or even like the pre-commercial internet. Like we've only known life mediated through Tinder and Snapchat and whatever. Um, and there's a lot of anger and you sort of see, you see, I mean, you see some of like the greatest critiques of this from like gropers, honestly, um, especially like these like forum gropers. Right. And of course they, they wrap it in you know, slurs and whatever, but it's like, you, they're saying the same thing as like the leftist's writing for New York Magazine. Um, and of course, one of them says it a little bit more eloquently, eloquently than the other. Um, you know, I'm, I'm no, I'm no. Just a parenthesis. Um, <laughs> can you define Groper for whoever doesn't know? <laughs> sure. <laughs> so if you're, if you're uh, floating in the, the I'll, I'll define it in, in, this, in this way. It's one of these things that's very difficult to put down a, a definition. But if you're floating in the Twitter sphere, especially the right wing Twitter sphere, and you see someone that's like, blank groiper and they have like a, a fat, you know, fat frog as their avi Right. And there's many different subgroups within these, within, within this, and there's many different definitions, which is why it's, you know, hard to give us a succinct, uh, a succinct one, but uh, you know, they will, they're, they're sort of like the edgiest of the right wing uh, of the e-right posters. Right. Um, and they're not, uh, they're not necessarily the friendliest, but their tech critique, I mean, I, you know, I, I, it's good enough for me to risk my reputation to say, I think it's, it's as, it's as good as like Neil Postman, right? Like, of course they're, they're dropping a couple of N-bombs and I don't endorse that, you know, unequivocally I do not, I'm not racist, et cetera. But like they, I mean, they are identifying something real and they're saying it with a pointedness that, you know, they're, they're more uh, public facing friends on the left um, seem to be grasping at, but, but, but struggling to to say but they're saying the same thing which i think is really interesting um just in different in different ways yeah
1: are, are you seeing um any sort of significant like tangible real world pushback to technology from from zoomers like are they actually checking out or logging out
2: um i think i mean i think there's there's a dissociation right um i think they use social media sort of differently than uh, millennials do um much more like walled gardens from them right um which is you know I think what's going to be interesting especially for like the internet culture beat is like you do need to be invited to the private discord to the group chat um there it's not as public um I think some very privileged zoomers um it's sort of like day class a to be so online um but it seems like there's this just like overwhelming sense of like we're dissociated we're detached uh, we don't know how to exist. Sort of ironically, leaning into it in some cases, and you saw the seeds of this. I and mean, you know, this is what Angela Nagel writes about in "Kill All Normies," right? You see the seeds of this in millennials, but it's very, it's really full throated with with Zoomers. Um, you know, it's 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 like that's that's why people think that sort of like surrealist humor is like endemic to Zoomers, even though it's been online uh, since the the dawn of the internet, um, because it's like the whole generation seems to embody that, like you know, under seven layers of irony. It's just, there's no real sense of self. They're all kind of, again, like lost at sea is really the best way to put it. Yeah. And how,
1: how did this um, kind of manifest in an atom lens? Uh, like you, you said that his, he kind of had this nihilistic philosophy, uh, but what, like, what were kind of the, the facets of this? Cause I, I remember I was listening to to your podcast on this and um, there were aspects of, you know, antinatalism was a, was a really big, you know, word cloud in, in there yeah. and, um, even like pedophilia apology, not necessarily that he was a pedophile, but he was not necessarily averse to pedophilia. So there's a kind of a lot of like, just, uh, interesting side turns that yeah. this whole thing takes.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean the, you know, everything was sort of just like downstream of like, if nothing matters, right. If, if we have, you know, unlimited choices, um, then like, why should there, you know, any guardrail feels arbitrary. Right. Which is why I think if he had, you know, a, even if he was constantly questioning it, some sort of like, you know, code of ethics, um, it would it that wasn't the, you know, the the kind of oxymoronic one that he had, um, he he might have felt, he might have been happier. You know, if there was just more um, again, like structure is just really what it what it comes comes down to. Um, you know, I, I feel like for some people, like you can do anything, is like, oh, well, you could do anything, you know. And it's like, I of, of course I can, and it's sort of unlimited possibility. The frontier never ends. Um, and for some people, you can do anything, is an immediate stop to the frontier. Uh, you know, like in the incelosphere, the the incels love to say it never began, right? You know, forget it's so over, it never began. And Adam Lanza, for him, it never began, right? Like, like, I mean, what's the point of any of it? Um you know, and, and I, I think a lot of, a lot of, uh, school shooters or, or, mass shooters in general tend to, to think like this and they'll, um, you know, point, uh, they'll, they'll point their rage at institutions, um, because it, it that's, it, they, you know, that's, that's the only way they can make sense of it. Um, but if you go through like the, 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 uh, online footprints of a lot of people who commit these types of crimes, um, they all kind of boil down to like everything is meaningless. Like the world is so big that it actually, that it becomes nothing. Um, which again is like something, you know, I think that's a theme that's uh, present in, in your work. And when I saw it, and I saw it come up again and again and again at NatCon. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's a shame that it's, it's vilified and I wish there was, I, I don't think it should be a partisan issue, right? Like I, these there needs to be some sort of vehicle to understand the human experience. You can't just sort of say it could be anything you want it to be. I think it, it, it corrupts our software, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, what, what you're kind of laying out just seems to me like a, a, almost a perfect mirror image to the positive side of rationalism. You know, you have the effective altruists, which this is not, you know, unique criticism, but it's like, effective towards towards what you know what what values are you you know what are underlying this i mean they obviously couch it in language like it's it's qualia it's this and that and it's essentially just just smuggling in christian morality and then saying okay we're just going to <laughs> You know, let let our free flags fly and uh, and you know do do good in the world. But you know, on what exactly do you ground that that good? You know, how, what what differentiates it from evil? Uh, and it seems like the the opposite of this is yeah. I mean, you know, there is no good and evil, and it's actually in a way a more correct version of rationalism. I mean, they really don't have anything to ground it in, at least not convincingly to me.
2: Yeah, no. I, I mean, I think I, I I think you're right. It's it's just and it's it's weird to me that the the conversation around it often you know says this is right wing extremism, right? And again, like this isn't a value judgment of my own on a uh, right wing thought, but it's I mean it's not. It's like the precise opposite. You know, it's it's, it's kind of crazy to me that it's it, that like because you don't have to dig that deep to realize that's not what this is. Um, which I thought was like the remarkable thing about this research is you know this is all publicly available. Um, even if you read sort of the analysis by people who, uh, you know, like people who are accepted by the mainstream, you feel like, you know, you take away the preamble about whatever, right. The sort of, uh, you know, leftist veneer and they're, they're, they're saying this, they're just sort of like, you know, somehow trying to convince the audience that it's something that it's not, um, they, you know, it's it's recently there's been sort of a trend of of likening um, mass shootings to a, to deaths of despair, which is really interesting, right? That's well, if it's a death of despair, then it's not political extremism, right? But it just it's just it's not. There is no political motive. Yeah, I mean, it's. I mean, how, are there other school shooters
1: that like echoed the same kind of anti-natalism or, or similar ideas?
2: Yeah, um they you know there's there's a there's a long a long list of them. I mean most of them, um they, you know, there's more exceptions, right? Um mo- most of them do have this like anti-natalist, like nihilistic uh, you know, drive. Um Ramos, Salvador Ramos, who recently um, you know, again at an elementary school in Valde, Texas, he had a very similar worldview. Um, e- you know, even the Columbine shooters, um, Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold, I don't think that they're quite in the Adam Lanza mold. They are sort of like, they're where the stereotype actually does kind of become true. Um, because, you know, like the, the the sociopaths who kind of were on a power trip. But if you look at Eric Harris's writing, um, he does rail against, in this very like Charles Manson-like way, against like the superficiality of of the modern world and of civilization and society. And I think it's, it's interesting that this sort of like anti-civilization sentiment, that is no matter who you're looking at, that is everywhere, right? This, you know, Adam Lanza is kind of like the apex expression, um, but it just comes up again and again and again. And, you know, if you want to talk about which extremists are um, influencing people, I mean, the only, the only person who, again, no matter who you pick, you can pick, you know, three random names from a list every single one of them is like, you know, has at least read and considered Ted Kaczynski, which I think, again, is like, why aren't we talking about our relationship to technology, our our relationship to industrialization? That doesn't mean return, but it means it's impacting people. Um, And if we're going to have a real discussion about it, maybe this is an area that we should pay attention to.
1: And why do you think there is no real discussion about it? Because this stuff is, is fascinating. It's, you know, it's gripping. It's, it's definitely, it, it bleeds, it should be leading. And it seems that no one really thinks it's interesting or they, they like to focus on other aspects of these things.
2: Um, You know, like I said, it's starting to a little bit. Um, I think that unfortunately this is an issue that's been weaponized. Um, You know, uh, the right wants to say it's all about mental health, which it seems is more true, I think, than it's all about guns. Neither one helps, right? <laughs> you know, having a, a lot a mentally vulnerable population that has easy access to guns. Both, I, I hate to be, a, you know, what else from default friend them. Both sides have a point, but you know, <laughs> that you know that's that's true, but that's not the the root issue, right? It's like if you have a, you know an obese population and you just start, and all you talk about is, well, everyone has diabetes. It's like, you know, there's several layers but like, at some point, like, yeah, I get people their insulin, but at some point you have to recognize that they're obese. And then you have to ask, well, why are they obese? You know, and that's, that's something that we have. I mean, this is, this is an issue with American society in general, right? Like uh, our healthcare doesn't address this. um, Our politics don't address this. We're very much about treating the symptoms and this, and you know, the symptoms will escalate and we're terrible at identifying and trying to fix root causes. And it might just be because it's too difficult. I mean, I don't, I, cer- I certainly, don't have the answer. Like how do we make Americans less nihilistic? Um, you know, that that's, I mean, that's a, an incredibly overwhelming question. Yeah. I feel like that's kind of the, the
1: main beat for a lot of the kind of the new dissident right or whatever post-liberal space is kind of identifying that, you know, the answers aren't really in the dichotomy of collectivism versus individualism and, you know, focus on the individual or the collective, the commies versus the whatever far right. Uh, it really doesn't, it it. That level of abstraction is, is bankrupt. there's no more discussions to be had at that level and then when you layer on top technology and you really just you know sit in your lawn chair and observe how these factors and like influencings and how they've been changing year after year like you remember the the world of 10 years ago and you've been involved in all the technologies that have happened since and you realize what's going on right now like most of the social issues and those the, even in your life and my life and the people around me, have something to do with this technology, and you know the, the explanations that uh, you know you need more individual responsibility, or you need the state to intervene more to whatever bail people out of their their misery. Uh, they're just band aids at best on on some some deeply rooted problems that actually, and I think you're right about this, and it is a really scary thing to consider. Might lie at the heart of essentially the political project and the philosophical project everyone's been involved in for the last few hundred years. And, you know, it's, it doesn't really work the way people thought it. it's going to work.
2: Yeah, no, I mean, I think you're, I think you're totally right. Um, and I think like increasingly, like, um, especially Americans are very allergic to, you know, uh, restraints of any kind. Um, people really freak out, <laughs> right. Um, and then when, you know, when they encounter any sort of obstacle, any kind of friction. And this is something we talked about in our first conversation, it's like an existential issue. Um, and we, you know, we never talk about, well, you know, what are we losing um as we become, you know, more frictionless? Like what friction are we introducing? Um, and it's like the you know, the friction of interacting with like one another, right? Like we're just it's it's too hard. Like we're all sort of like constantly staring at a mirror. Um And if what we see in the mirror doesn't match what other people see, right? It's like we, I mean, we lose our minds. And I think that's true of, true of everyone. Um, There's certain, there's certain groups um, are a little bit more extreme with it, but I think it's, I mean, I think those are just like the the poster children of issues that are very widespread.
1: Yeah. And I feel like there's also this kind of almost knee-jerk reaction of, you know, you don't really want limits to be imposed on yourself. So you just make that a a rule for, for, for everything. And I see a lot of people just willingly almost like gambling away civilization wholesale on the idea that, you know, you don't want to be the, the, the shitty guy saying, okay, up to here and no more, because you're afraid that someone else will come in and tell you up to here and no more. And that this whole world of, of this, this whole free for all is going to collapse because, you know, there's going to, you know, it's, it's a domino thing where, uh, Rules, rules will have to to come in, um, and I really see that. Like, that feels to me like the the biggest pushback that I get from people. They're like, okay, who's gonna be doing this, and you know, uh, under what right? You know, what what's your jurisdiction? <laughs> yeah, like
2: who's a you know, what what ethics board is gonna be deciding? I mean, I think it's like, you know, it's at some point. And Indian Bronson does a good job at saying this. Like, yeah, some people need to be collateral damage, right? Like, it's yeah. it. Nobody wants to say that um, because like when you know, it, especially like person to person and whether it's on Twitter or in real life and someone's like, well, what about my lifestyle? Like, are are you going to say, I can't do this? You like me. And you have to just have the gumption to say, yes. Yeah, I, even you. And, yeah. Or like even Back myself. Back in the
1: closet you go. <laughs> 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 yeah, I think that's, that's the reality of it. I mean, I, I really do see people taking it almost impossibly hard to see fallout from the imposition of order, like you can see, you know, San Francisco, you know, turning into like a, a public toilet, and you know, all these cities descending into into mob violence and all this type of stuff. That's kind of a, um, a consequence of of disorder, you know. Eh, you know, you know, no one's no one's actually there saying, you know, putting in limits and stuff like that, but even like, for example, with the discussions about abortion, you know, they come in with these edge cases, like if there's a 10-year-old girl who was raped and things like that, and that that girl would be kind of the fallout of the imposition of order. No one's really talking about, you know, millions of babies who, you know, never even have a chance to be born and, you know, maybe die in horrific conditions, depending on what your idea is about, you know, human life. Uh, That's not as important as this one individual who might be, you know, might have a might be constrained by the imposition of order. So um and, and Indian Ross also has this really good example about about prisons. You know, he's has this thing where he wants to triple the prison population, which I do agree with in many ways. So yeah, I think it's a you know to to get a certain civilizational outcome, there has to be collateral damage. And and yeah, it's just unacceptable.
2: Well I mean I, I think people also like misweigh the importance of Of certain things, or you know, of certain possibilities. Like um, you know, like having speaking of edge cases, like the polyamorous rationalist family, right, who lives on a commune. Like, oh, well, you're not okay with that. Well, first of all, like what what ends up happening is you have hundreds of thousands of people doing a half-assed version of that terribly and fucking up their lives. So just right off the bat, the people who are doing it correctly, uh, you know, quote unquote, like are, you know it's like well, why do we why are their feelings so important? Like who gives a fuck? Yeah, to do it in secret if you have to do it, you know, if, if this is really who you are and it's so important to you, just make it a counterculture. It'll be more fun, you know, like <laughs> yeah, and the idea that you know these these
1: unions and all this stuff have to be legally recognized and uh, and brought to equality with with marriage, uh, that's a little bit insane because you know marriage has a certain societal function, um, you know. It, it's it's organized around the principle of procreation, you're going to have children, uh, of, you know, sharing property, of, you know, consolidating certain roles. Uh, these are all um, pro-social goals that the state wants to incentivize. Um, other types of unions don't essentially, they, they don't correspond to these parameters. They're not going to promote all this stuff. Like, for example, a, a polyamorous union, you know, ex- excuse my polyamorous followers in its essence, has a different orientation. It's not there to have children. Your, your, your purpose there is not to, you know, to you know, further your name. It's to have access to multiple sex partners. It's in the title. You know, it's, that's kind <laughs> of the, the, the purpose of it. You know, it's polyamorous. We're amorous with, with uh, you know, a, a poly mix of people. So, um, yeah, I mean, the fact that the state doesn't, doesn't want to incentivize this is normal.
2: Yeah, I mean absolutely. And I, you know, I, I I do one interesting thing is I do see um people sort of slowly being like actually like you know the the impact on those communities is that like they can't gatekeep as effectively. Um and that dilutes the purposes of those communities and you know, the stigma is part of the gatekeeping. And this is true with anything, right? Like this I mean this is what the like, you know, sort of uh you know, right-wing hot topic sort of participation trophy a rhetoric of, you know, 2004 was all about, right? Like, um, if, you know, if you make, if you, if make it open to everyone, then it becomes meaningless and then it turns into this slop. And then it's like, even people who are finding refuge in these communities can no longer do that. So it just, I mean, it just kind of eventually the whole system destroys itself. Um, if everything's open to everyone that even impacts, you know, the people who are like, well, what about me? You know, the collateral damage, uh, argument.
1: Yeah, there there's been quite a lot of uh, you know tensions around around gatekeeping recently, uh, and what exactly where where are the edges of the of the dissident right and who can who can join who can be who can be friends with us or with them depending on where you draw the right. line. <laughs> so yeah, it's uh it's it's been it's been quite quite interesting to observe. But I think you're you're right. I think people really are um, underselling the you know the, the gatekeeping function. Like it's not. A pure negative. There is a certain need to gatekeep certain. I don't know if it's like subversive ideas, but like just you know certain things that just don't belong to the memeplex of the of the right. Well, you know. we don't
2: get, We don't have boundaries around anything, right? Like um, another great thing that, like you say often, is like dating is a coordination problem. Like nobody knows what dating is. That's like a symptom of there's no boundaries. Um, we don't have boundaries between like work life and home life, or like what's appropriate to tell your boss. Um, And all of those things make, you know, and those are very like micro examples, but like, you know, that makes ghosting possible. That makes all sorts of like rude behavior that you can't address. And then, you know, then it becomes, you have to like create these weird like HR scripts that could, you know, one use for every situation because you don't know where you stand with anyone. Um, But it's really, I mean, it's really the same, the same issue ultimately. It's just, that's what it looks like when you uh, take it away on even mundane things like, uh, talking to your boss or, you know, whatever.
1: Yeah. It it feels to me like you've been exposed to the, uh, bring your whole self to work, uh, culture.
2: Um, I mean, I used to, yeah, I used to write, you know, write emails to, to big tech company. I mean, I used to, I worked, used to work at a very big tech company. Um, and you know, part of this boundary collapse, right. Was that HR somehow became part of my marketing job and I'd have to, you know, write to all the ERGs about you gotta bring your whole self to work. Um you I mean, like we've seen your Twitter DF. You <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. That would have been a nightmare.
1: <laughs> it's also I think it also ties into the fact that, you know, with with other bonds, you know, collapsing Work is almost a necessary place where we're supposed to be finding fulfillment. That's where the money comes from. That's where you get to buy stuff. That's where, you know, your status comes from. And I think bring your whole stuff to work is just the fact that people really didn't feel any familial connection with their families anymore or very little of it having moved away. And then they're like, okay, we can, we can make work a family. You know, you just need to well, what's be a really honest. About
2: that is no one actually does feel like their office is a family. They feel like it's just terrible in position. And at yeah. best, it distracts them, right? Um, you know, people like will dive, you know, headfirst into their jobs. But I think, like, you know, no one, no one's like these are my best friends. They're like, this is a weird skin I wear because it's just life is too empty and depressing without it. And there's like, they're like, all, they almost know what's going on, but not, not quite.
1: You know what's, what's really interesting because I, I I used to work in kind of a more normal. Uh, this is also in tech, but I like a normal, more like hierarchical organization in a shitty job, which actually is a benefit to making friends at work because you you can all ally against the shittiness of the job, of the boss, of whatever circumstances you're in. And then I could actually have to say that my work colleagues were my best friends at that point. I had also moved just recently moved to a new location. So that worked. But in the in the more, you know, in the higher up region and the flat hierarchy and the bring yourself to work type uh thing, like that was it was very strange because the, the, almost the point of the organization was to to better my life. the 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 work was incidental in a way, and it felt really shitty to be to be like, you know, um, coordinating around problems at work because theoretically there were no problems. And if there were problems, you you just you know start writing your own laws, and you know you you can change them all. And it felt like strangely oppressive to not be able to. You know, find allies. It was almost like you know eunuchs at I don't know the Ottoman court. You know, just all whisper campaigns. You know, just like te- weird gossip stuff. Everything was shrouded in HR language. Very, very strange place and like psychically hard to tolerate for me. I don't know. I'm sure some people found it comfortable or better than you know a normal hierarchy. But for me and a few people that I know, it was a strange liminal space to be in.
2: Well I mean it's like would you rather have rules that everyone knows right and you know and I mean here's here's the beauty of rules that everyone knows you know which rules you could break and how to break them if you really got to do your own thing right so I mean it like it works both ways not having any rules and then getting sucker punched if you piss off the wrong person is so much worse right it's I mean it, you find that like these these startups or like I worked at an ad agency that was like this that are like kind of like anything goes like the pettiest, just like insane, you know, you wake up one morning and like your manager has been accused of something that you didn't even know was, you know against whatever, you know, like unethical or or, or whatever the accusation is. I mean these these things like it's so much better to like know, you know, have there be like a static right and wrong, and that way you you, you can still disagree with it, but that's so you know like this is this is what we're all agreeing on as like this is the the anchor point. Um, but when it's just nothing, it's, it's super disorienting. Um, and you know, people also like withdraw, which is another reaction to that. Cause like, why, why risk it in some cases?
1: Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because you kind of highlight a point where, you know, the, the most insane people take the reins in these situations. Like they really like strong, you know, personality, especially people who are very woke, uh, and know that there will be no pushback to whatever excesses of this day they try to impose, they they go off the rails and you know they they can they can go and go and go because <laughs> there is no one to stop them and like I mean like the examples I've lived through it's it just like the level of subversion that you can get to from from that is just insane and the, the leadership has nothing to do because they essentially kind of agree with the fact that you make your own rules and two they're probably also pretty woke as well because you know this is the kind of organization they've built so they're just you know standing there. <laughs> Like, you know, people don't get fired for like half a decade because no one knows, you know, what levers to pull, you know, to, to oust these, these insane people. So it's, it's, it's a strange thing to observe.
2: Yeah, it's, it, it is super weird. Um, and then like different popularity games. I mean, I you know, I was just talking to um, my friend about this yesterday. Uh, he asked me to shout him out. So I was talking to Soso about this yesterday. Um, it sets people up to fail too, Right. Because then like the other thing that ends up happening is you have all these weird like DEI initiatives and um, you just hire random people to fill quotas. There's no path for them, no rules, right? So you have like random people who like you're just putting there to look good. They can't move up. They can only move down. You can't fire them because you've tokenized them. I mean, it's not fair to them. It's not fair to anyone at the organization.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) that's exactly what happens. Like, um, they're just people who, you know, at some point don't even show up to work because they just know they, they don't have to, or they just do minimal type of work. And then if, if, you know, anyone says anything, they're just completely hurt, and they show you that they have leverage over you, and say, you know, actually, how I do my job is no is none of your business. So it's 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 really, yeah, it's fun to watch. I I, I am happy that I've never actually been in like leadership in any of these companies because I would have probably had a <laughs> mental breakdown at one point. But yeah, I oh, probably was the worst.
2: Have, yeah, as a manager, I would be like, I would just tell people like straight up, I was like. Yo, know, look, I know you just got like randomly picked at some college career fair. You don't want to be here. You're kind of tough to to manage. Why do you how about this? Tell me, I'll I'll pick up some of the slack for you. <laughs> and we can make this work one way or another. But I I know you're not you're there's there's no way that you're gonna dive in to the deep end here. Um and I would I just like wouldn't keep up the charade. Um and I remember I worked one place where I, you know, I managed this woman, she got moved to another manager and she was like, how do you deal with her? She's like, so disorganized. And I was like, eh, just kind of like help her out, you know, whatever. And then that, that manager tried to like be real with her, but like didn't, wasn't delicate enough. And she got into so much trouble. <laughs> felt so bad for giving her that advice. But I mean, that's really the only, like, I think that's like the only like humane thing to do, right? Just like be like, look, there's, I don't know. I can't help you. <laughs> yeah I mean it's
1: it, I do feel like the the, the is turning for that as well. I mean, it, it just seeing people go through those experiences, I mean they they do tend to soften the um, flat hierarchy to make it a little bit sharper <laughs> than, than it used to be. but I, I don't think the you know they, they, the people take the right lessons from this stuff. you know they just think they, they need to try harder. they need to you know implement this stuff a bit, a bit better. Um, but anyway, I wanted to kind of focus on another of your strengths. Uh, it's trend forecasting. Is there any internet-related trend that, you know, people haven't really felt yet or is on the horizon? Something you've, you've felt with your spidey senses is coming?
2: Yeah. Um, so I do think like tech criticism is going to, to be big. Um, I mean, it already is, right? But I think it's going to be like people are going to recognize it as a genre of like hot take. Um, I see a lot of people mentioning McLuhan. So I kind of think that, um, you know, what lash and Polia are to, you know, the hip young intellectuals today, McLuhan and, and postman and people of, you know, that, that, that genre will be to the, the zoomers of tomorrow. Um, and sort of hand in hand with that, I do think there's gonna, there's a lot of like hot take burnout. So there's, a, so you see, you see this on TikTok a lot like these sort of like meta analyses of um trends right so it's so much easier to like if you're going to have this sort of like we're going to start like breaking things down just focus on like what you know explaining why things are trending um and it's okay. really easy to do this with like fashion um but food sort of going back and, ex- and explaining these these things and then trying to predict what the next one is going to be um cuz that's sort of a safe space and if like you're if you're if you're burnt out on like whatever gender ideology or whatever the culture war topic du jour is that is a refuge um and it's sort of a growing um sort of like a growing genre i think and it's it's for the people who are like eh, i don't i don't know i'm not left i'm not right but uh, what was up with everyone wearing le miniskirts mini skirts in 2008
1: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's that that really makes a lot of sense because I feel like even I, I haven't really been in these cycles for for long enough but even I kind of see that there is a certain pattern to things. There's a certain kind of pe- periodicity to to things spiking and then coming down, you know, the the different um schisms and you know how how you know, like you said, you know, how kind of conspiracy theories take off, you know, where you kind of have a, f- a few ingredients in there and then that goes up, then it comes down, then it maybe comes back in two or three more waves. And, um, you know, what it's based on, you know, sometimes I also have insider knowledge about these these things. I know these people. So it's, um, you know, you kind of see how the sausage is made and it's it's easier to, to have that meta view and to not kind of get roped into things as much. I feel like that's kind of also a reason why, I, haven't been. I mean, also time constraints and just life in general has let me here. But I haven't really been as involved in in the cycles anymore. I, I tend to not take them as seriously. I don't know. Yeah, Is that me I'm, being. I'm
2: th- no, I'm going through that too. Like, I just like y- y- I think like as of the last couple of weeks, I'm like I just don't have anything to say. Right. I'm just like yeah. b- I I think like I just like got burnt. Burnt out on it, right? Like I was, I was just on it, like on every little issue. But I think, like after the Kiwi Farms thing, I was like, I'm done. I don't have a single take I could offer, and I just like don't have the energy or the desire. Um, I feel like I need to go into like hibernation, uh, and I feel like a lot of people are. I mean, you're feeling that as you just mentioned. A lot of people are. It's been a weird sort of like, you know, um, ebb ebbing of of the culture wars, but. I think it's going to get, I think this election cycle is going to be very interesting because people are getting meaner and people are getting angrier. And like, if, you know, uh, you know, people thought 2016 was weird, I think it's going to be so much weirder, uh, 2024.
1: Yeah. Maybe also because of the burnout, I feel like, you know, that kind of takes away the, the, the more moderate people and just leaves the crazies and, yeah. <laughs> and full battle gear.
2: Well, also we know that like anything's kind of possible now, like there's no yeah. sort of like, eh, that can't happen. Well, no, I mean, anything could happen, right? Like <laughs> we don't know any, there's no sort of like the, you know, the simulations off the rails.
1: Yeah, exactly. Purple Caesar, I think a preferable <laughs> global, global purple Caesar. Oh no. Um, yeah. I mean, this is this is all uh, super fascinating. I mean, the the Adam Lanza stuff. I mean, I've, I've just been listening to to things, you know, from you, from other people about this, and it really does feel like it's just, you know, almost a prophet of our times in a strange way. You know, someone who's maybe so Aspie that he could just peel away all the layers of the, of the kind of the, the ruling ideology and, and what there is is kind of this, this gaping hole that, you know, he let himself fall into and took a lot of people with him. Um, but some other people like, you know, myself included, can just kind of intuit the outline of the, of the abyss and, you know we're, we're pulling back we're you know going back to religion doing all sorts of things and trying to you know compensate for that but it's there um and I feel like yeah that's for me that's a big trend people noticing the abyss a little bit more than than usual
2: oh yeah I, I mean I, I I totally agree with that or people saying like look I you know I understand why you're returning but we can't and I'm dead inside that's also um, a big trend seems, which is sad I shouldn't I shouldn't laugh but like that I think that's a, you know it, it's it's two sides of the same coin
1: yeah yeah absolutely I mean yeah you're just you know seeing reality as it is and, and how you deal with it there is a personal preference in some ways um, before I let you go, I want to ask you the question of the show, um if you have an updated answer to this cuz last time I have I forgot oh to God. update your answer but actually it was it wasn't that bad an, an answer and I will I'll tell the listeners if they forgot oh, about no. it Whoa. it is <laughs> Justin Murphy is is okay, a good yeah, one I like Justin great. Murphy and yeah. and Paul Scalise I mean since then there have been more scandals around Paul Scalise he is an insightful guy though I haven't really been following him because he blocked me almost instantly the second I hit the internet for some reason then unblock me a shit. few times. Yeah, I don't know. I don't he, know.
2: Okay, I'll say I'll, of Paul Scalis, even though we are enemies now, um, I will say that he is. He may not be an original thinker, but he's an excellent curator. Yes, yeah, um, but uh, my my new my new thinkers um, are Sherry Turkle, who I quote all the time. Um, she's she's great. Humdog, who uh, was a Pseudonymous writer. Um, her essays are sort of scattered throughout the the internet. Uh, Pandora's Vox is a like if you want to know about uh, internet culture, that is an excellent starting place. Um, Marshall McLuhan and um, my friend Clinton Ignatov, who writes, who actually writes for my Substack now, his explainers on Marshall McLuhan because McLuhan is not easy to <laughs> understand uh, raw, if you will. So those th- that's my updated. <laughs> Updated
1: list. Yeah, how things have changed. <laughs> yeah, since, like a year and a half ago. Um, yeah, I think you know many many internet revelations. The internet's changed like five times since since we spoke. Maybe even many more times if one counts all the subgenres of internet that have existed. Oh my in the god! Meantime. Yeah,
2: just constant schisms. It's so. I, I thought I would never get bored watching it. And now I'm like, ah, I'm done. You know, the weather's beautiful. Uh, climate change means it's 80 degrees in October in Chicago. I may as well enjoy it.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just watching, watching the apocalypse out the window. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think you'll be back, you know, you can't stay away for long. <laughs> That's true. It's also your beat, you know, I'm sure yeah. know, internet history is one thing, but internet present. There's lots. Of that's stuff to that's clean. the
2: one. Yeah, <laughs> I you know I have to be the one contrarian voice on that. <laughs> exactly.
1: Well, thank you so much, Catherine. This has been lovely as always, and I want to uh, point people to your Substack. It's uh, defaultfriend.substack.com. Uh, is that correct? Yep. Okay. And is there any? You also have a podcast called The Computer Room, which people should check out. It's also, yes, it's and really
2: it's uh, yeah, and we're we're putting out episodes again, um, and I have a whole bunch of of episodes coming out. So I'm excited.
1: Excellent. Excellent. Please do listen to it if you're as fascinated as I am about this, you know, demonic technology that has, you know, possessed us all. It's, it's, it's wonderful and scary at the same time. And, and, uh, and Catherine's the best, uh, the best person to go for information on, on our common plight. So thank you so much, Catherine. This has been delightful.
0: Thank you. If you like what you're hearing, want to see where I take it, And maybe want early access to episodes, bonus episodes, access to the AMA, or you just want to support the cause of dissident speech or my work in general, head to my Patreon at patreon.com slash aksubversive. Your donations are what keeps the lights on and makes the show possible, so thank you.